0: Open up your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week, which is chapter 2, the first verse. So we finished chapter 1 last week in the uh, book of Philippians, and today we're moving ahead into chapter 2. And I'm going to be reading in verses 1 through 4, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Father in heaven, we ask your help. We know that it's impossible for us to live this way. Apart from the power of your spirit, apart from your grace in our life, uh, Lord, we really need to to know all that we've been given in Christ so that we have the resources to give to others. So, Lord, I pray that you would show us today how to complete our joy, uh, how to live in relationship with others. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple weeks ago, we were in Philippians chapter 1, and in verse 21, Paul said, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And what Paul meant by that was, for him, real living was Christ, okay? So if he's going to keep on living, then uh, he's going to pursue Christ. He's going to seek Christ. He's going to go hard after Christ, because he's convinced that that's, that's where life is. That's where joy is. That's where peace is and satisfaction. And so, for Paul, to keep on living means more of Christ, and to die... It means a whole lot more of Christ. It means to be in the presence of Jesus. And so Paul's like, you know, whether I live or whether I die, it's Christ. And whether I live or die, it's good. It'll be pursuing Jesus Christ for me. Now, what Paul said in verse 25 was, if God allows me to live, if God says, hey, Paul, I'm going to give you escape from a Roman prison. Uh, you're going to be delivered. You're going to have more time to live. Paul says, I know exactly what I'm going to do at that time. I am going to, and let me just read it for you, verse 25. Of chapter 1, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul says, if I get to keep living, what I'm going to do is I'm going to devote my time and attention to helping you know more of Christ's love, know more of of the experience of Jesus Christ in your life, so that your joy in Christ goes up and your progress in the faith happens. Now, I think Paul is doing that right now in chapter 2. Okay? I don't think Paul's going to wait. I don't think Paul's like, well, I don't know if I'm going to live or die, so I'm just going to watch TV until it happens. And then when God tells me, you know, if I'm going to live, then I'll go out. and. I, don't, I, I think he's actually living out what he just said in Philippians 1 was his life purpose. I think he's living out trying to increase our joy in the faith in what he writes in chapter 2. So what does he write in chapter 2? What he writes in chapter 2 is that if you're going to complete his joy, you've got to learn to live rightly in your relationship with other people, okay? Notice in verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, okay? And we'll go on. We'll, We'll break that down here in just a minute. But you see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying to create an atmosphere of joy, okay? He's saying for my joy to be complete, for our joy to be complete, then what needs to happen is you've got to learn to live in humility in your relationship with other people. Who's other people? Other people. Your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your church, your, your employees, your employer. Your, your, every, every, everybody that, that you're in relationship with. And the reason that Paul says this is because broken relationships steal joy. Did you know that? When you're in strife with somebody, uh, that, that's, that's not a happy time. Is it? That's kind of a miserable time, in fact. Uh, no, nobody ever is in full conflict, and and they're just bubbling over with happiness. That that doesn't ever. You you never think that, do you? You know, you never you never meet somebody, and you know you come home, and your your spouse just jumps in and says. Wow, You know, they got this big smile on their face and bright eyes and just beaming with joy. And you never say, hey, did you get in a fight today? You know, what happened? I mean, that, that's not what you expect, do you? you, you know, however, when you meet them and their veins are bulging out of their neck, you know, and they got those red blotches on them where blood vessels are popping and their eyes are shooting laser beams. You know, it's not an unexpected thing to say, hey, is everything okay? Did something happen with somebody? You know, did, 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 are you in a broken relationship? You know, something happened? So-and-so say something. I mean, that's what you would expect, right? Because we understand that broken relationships steal joy. People who are at odds with their family are miserable people. And so Paul is teaching us how do we magnify our joy. And that begins by learning humility in relationships. When a family lives in humility, that's going to create an atmosphere of joy in their family. When a family lives in selfishness, that's the opposite of humility, by the way. When a family lives in self-centeredness, when the seven people, Living in the Dirks' house, say, "I want my way." There's no happiness to be found in that. You can look all over for it. Look in the cupboards. Look out. You aren't going to find any happiness when there is self-absorbed people in a household. Same with the church. Same with any organization. And so, what Paul is telling us today that the key to harmonious relationships, which is the key to joy, by the way, complete my joy, is what he says, is to learn to live in those relationships with humility. You know what's the interesting thing about that? Is you're not going to find that in the world. You're not going to find the world telling you that. In fact, you're going to find the world telling you the opposite. What the world says is that you need to be happy. Have you ever, ever listened to commercials? You know, the world says to be happy is what. Get your way, right? Get your way. You get to the top. You get everybody catering to you. You get everybody doing what you say. You get everybody exalting you. you. You get to the top and you get your way in everything, and that's what's going to bring happiness. And I'm just here to tell you that is a lie from hell. It will never happen. You'll never find it, okay? Let's just hypothetically play that out. Let's just say that by, by the force of my person, I force everybody in my family to give me what I want, okay? Now, if you know my wife, this is a real hypothetical uh, illustration because... This is not probably going to happen, but let's just hypothetically say let's. You know, I just I just come home and like guys. This is the way it's going to be. You know, you and you and you. You're going to do that, and you're going to do that, and you're going to do that. And, and wife, you know, you're going to start doing this and that. And, you know, and it, I, it's going to be my way. Atmosphere of joy, right? All of a sudden, I mean, just peace, harmony, birds chirping. No, man, it's going to be bad, isn't it? So why do we think that getting our own way is going to bring happiness? You know that that doesn't work. So why why, why do we think that? I think think we're sold on the lie. And I think what Paul is convincing us of here today is that in order to have an atmosphere of joy, that's what he's saying in verse 2, complete my joy. Make my joy complete by. And then he he goes on to describe what it's like to live with others in humility. You know, humility is a difficult word to define, isn't it? Um, I told Larry, my, my, the title of my sermon was humility brings joy. And, uh, so he was, he was doing the, the labels and, and I heard him talk, I don't know if he's talking to himself or I don't know if he was Googling or what, but he said, he, he said this, he said out loud, he said, you know, what's the definition of humility? And that, that's a good question. What is definition? And we'll talk about that here in a minute, but what, you know, what's even better than a definition is verse three and four actually just tell us this is what you do. If you, if you want to live in humility, do this and don't do this. Okay, so it's kind of the practical nuts and bolts of humility. And so here, here it is, verse 3, if you're going to live in humility, here's what you've got to do. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Notice the first part. Do nothing from rivalry. Your Bible might say selfish ambition. Okay? It, it's a word that talks about promoting yourself, trying to position yourself to get what you want. Position yourself to, to be first. It, it's a word that was actually used for a day laborer. Okay? Because you know what a day laborer would do? They, they would apply for a job, and what's, what's one of the things that they would want to know? Uh, <clears throat> what is in it for me, right? I mean, isn't that what you want to know when you go to work, right? If you go to work, you're gonna say, hey, wh- what do I get paid? What's in this for me? And so that word is actually called for a day. Working for hire is the, is the way the word was used. And, and it's a word that, it, that basically describes what am I going to get? What's in it for me? I believe the majority of people live their lives in their families with that being the driving motivation. What is in it for me? Now, <clears throat> that doesn't mean that we don't be nice. You know why? Because we figured out that being nice often brings good things for us, right? We figured out that, you know, being cordial, being polite, courteous, loving, sometimes that that brings good results in our life. And so the world is sold on, that's the motivation. You ever seen what happens when someone knows that there's not going to be anything good to come, no matter what they do? Have You ever seen that? Like a situation where the sale has gone bad, you know, and there's not going to be one, and they're never going to buy anything from that person again? Have you often seen the hateful come out in people when they, when they know that that part's over? You know? You, know, but you know, and you know why the hateful came out? It's because there's nothing in it for me anymore. And here, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says when that is the motivation of your life, <clears throat> James 3.16 says where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. The Bible says that when, when your motive is what's in it for me, all kinds of bad things are going to come out. In your life and in your family. Second word that's used there to describe what we need to do to be humble is the word conceit. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. This is a word that's made up of two Greek words, empty and glory, okay? And so it's, it's, it's a word, empty glory. So don't do anything for empty glory. And, and empty glory basically describes trying to manufacture your own glory. So you're trying to, you're trying to build yourself up. You, you're doing things in order to look good, right? In order that people would speak well of you, talk well of you, you'd look good, you'd get kudos. You know, really what we're doing there is ignoring the reality of ourselves and trying to build up our own glory. And so Paul says, don't, don't, don't let that be the motive for how you treat other people. But rather, here's what he says, verse 3, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. In humility. Now let me go ahead and define it. Here's how I would define it. Humility, humility is looking away from yourself. Okay, looking away from yourself. Now, now don't don't misunderstand. It it doesn't mean you know thinking badly of yourself. Okay, a lot of people when they think humility, they think of someone that's you know got their head hung low, saying I'm the worst guy in the world. You know. Um, and they walk around that way. The, the word does mean lowliness of the mind, but let, let me let me ask you a question. When you meet that person, that, that, that's that's their that's their way of living is I'm just stupid and I'm just terrible and you know I everything nothing ever works out for me. And I tell you what, you know, if it if it's gonna break, it's gonna be on my watch and I and, you know I there's just I, I don't like the way I look and I don't like my job and I don't like Where's their focus on, by the way? It's on them, isn't it? I, I, I mean, just as much as the guy that thinks they're the best things in sliced bread, okay? That guy, you know, that walks into the room and, you know, he's, he's automatically the most intelligent guy in the room always, you know, and he goes to his workplace and he's convinced that everybody's an idiot but him. You know, that guy is focused on himself, but so is the guy that does nothing but beat up himself. And humility is this. Stop looking at yourself. That's what humility is. It's not think bad about yourself. It's not think good. It's just don't think of yourself. Get your focus somewhere else. It's being preoccupied with something other than yourself. You know, know, the only way to be preoccupied with something other than yourself is to be preoccupied with something bigger than yourself. You know what doesn't work? What doesn't work is to try to be humble by saying, All right, I'm going to be humble. I'm not going to think about myself. I'm just not going to think about it. I'm going to walk into church. Okay, Jason, don't think about yourself. You know, Jason, quit thinking. You know what I'm doing? I'm thinking about myself, right? You know, the way to be humble is to be preoccupied with something bigger. Your mind, your heart, your affection is on something else, something bigger. My secretary, Paula, has something happen to her frequently that has never happened to me in my entire life. I'm still waiting Someday, I think it probably will. I think it'll probably happen in tragedy, though, which kind of upsets me. But but it, literally, it's never happened to me in my life. She was uh, doing girl talk the other day. And whenever Paula does girl talk, she's all in. I mean, she is studying. She's reading everything that I've given her. She is, like, preparing and preparing and preparing. She has, like, 120 pages of notes that she condenses down into 70 and then into 50 and then into 30. And, I mean, she just, she just... All in in her preparation. And the other day she was preparing for girl talk, and, and it gets about four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon, and she's like, I, I think I'm getting sick. You know, I, I just don't feel good. I don't know. I've got girl talk, and now I don't feel, I'm getting sick. And she's, it dawns on her, I haven't eaten. That has never happened is that is there anybody else here that that's never happened to you I mean it's never happened to me I mean I don't, I don't care what's on my plate I, I mean right now I'm thinking about lunch you I'm trying to preach to you but I, I'm thinking about lunch you know I mean I, that's just the way I mean but she she was so preoccupied with with this thing on her plate and this this this, this things that she has to do and you know the stress of it that, that she just forgot to eat she forgot about one of the basic things in life eating. A lot of people do that when they have a tragedy. That's what I'm afraid of. The only time I'll experience it is during a tragedy. Have you ever went to the hospital? One of the questions people ask people in the hospital is, have you eaten? Have you noticed that? Why? Because someone just had a heart attack, right? Someone just, just in a car wreck. Someone's life is on the line and their loved ones come in and they're completely focused on, you know, oh my, and who do we got to call and what decisions do we have to make and have you talked to the doctor? And, and, and they may do that for 8 hours, 10 hours, 12 hours while, while life is in the balance. And you have to remind them, hey, you need to eat here have this can I get you some you need to drink something your body's going to collapse you're going to collapse if you don't eat and the reason is they're so preoccupied with this big thing well I think what humility is is that when there's something bigger than me in my life Jesus is bigger the kingdom is bigger you know the church is bigger my family is bigger others are bigger and I'm so preoccupied with this good stuff in the kingdom that i'm not i'm not I'm not looking at me all the time that's what humility is. And the Bible says so many good things about humility. Let me give you, I think, the biggest one. Humility will trigger the power and the grace of God into your life. Verses say that all through the Bible. Psalm 37, 11 talks about the humble inheriting the land. Matthew 5, 5 talks about the meek inheriting the earth. James 4, 6, one of my favorites, says... God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Okay? As you as you look away from yourself as, as you stop living with the primary motive what do people think of me what do people see in me how did they perceive me did I sound good did I sound bad you know do I look ugly today how is my shirt you know are they gonna cater to me I, I deserve better I mean when you stop that just just stop that and you start start fixing your eyes on on the glory of Jesus and others around you all of a sudden the power of God begins to flow into your life. So practically, what do we say in verse three, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. And here's a very practical way to think about this. Count others more significant than yourselves. Now you're saying, how do I do that when others aren't more significant than me? And And I agree with you. I, I don't think, you know, you've got this tier of people, you know, you got the really important and the, and the sort of important and the Kind of important, and then the not important, and then me. You know, I I I don't think you have that. I I think we're all we're all you know created in the image of God, and so I don't think Paul's saying you got to rank people and count everybody else more important than yourself. I think what he's saying there is you need to treat people that way. Is it possible to treat people in a way that they don't deserve? You bet. Jesus does it all the time. He treats you as a son. He treats you as a saint. He treats you as as beloved. He treats you as an heir to the throne. Did you deserve any of that? Did you work that? No, but he treats you that way. And the Bible is saying count others, consider others to be more important than yourselves. And then in verse 4, the, the, the playing out of that is let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The, the, the outworkings of humility is you begin to pay attention to other people. You begin to pay attention to what do they need. You begin to pay attention to what's going on in their life. You begin to pay attention to to, to where they're at in their faith. You you begin to be like Paul. And and your motive, your thought process is, how do I build up their joy in the faith? How do I progress their joy in the faith? When you think about your family, you don't think about, what can they do for me? You think about, how can I build them up in the faith? Man, things will be good if I build up my family in the faith. Most people walk in their house and they say, things will be good if my family will finally treat me right. No, no, stop that. There's no joy in that. You walk into your family and say, things will be good here. The atmosphere of joy will be good if I help my family be built up in faith, if I help them love Jesus more. Let me read it again. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. Verse 4. What do we mean by that? We don't mean just figure out what's going on in people's lives, Okay. I don't I don't think we, we, we mean that. Um, I don't think we mean Facebook browsing, okay? Being a creeper. That's what Emma says that I am, a creeper. You know, you don't ever put anything on there. You just see what's going on in people's lives. Like they're reading the newspaper, you know, except it's most of it's not true. Well, no, it is like reading the newspaper. Most of it's not true. And it, yeah, yeah, it's exactly that way. Is that what we mean? No, that's not what we mean. Here's what we mean. Small groups. We're taking a break, but when we go back in them, there's two type of people that walk into your small group. Did you know that? I I think you can boil it down to two different kinds of people, okay? The The one type of person, they walk into the small group, and they walk through the door. Someone lets them in. They come in. They walk through a crowd of people, and here's what's going through their mind. That's the third week. The third week that so-and-so did not speak to me. They don't even look at me. I'm just invisible. In fact, they saw me coming, and they looked the other way, you know? And then they carry their tray in there, and they put it down, and they realize somebody else is coming in the door, and they're like, yep, yep. I, I. Two hours I spent baking that. And I got 19 kids and 23 jobs, and I had everything to do, but I spent time baking and look at them. They, nothing. They're coming in with nothing again, you know? And the whole time what are they doing they're smiling like this yeah, uh, yeah uh. they're thinking that aren't they? Uh, they didn't say hi to me third week in a row you know okay you got that type of person fortunately we've got none of those at lincoln isn't that great none see we're supposed to count others more significant see i'm doing it right now we don't have any of those here okay the other type of person comes in and immediately what are they thinking who who's who's not visiting with anybody Who's by themselves? Who, who could I encourage? Oh, so-and-so's here. Man, they had a rough time. Their daughter is going through a struggle. I need, what can I do to make that better? What can I do to increase their, what can I, I need to go pray for them. I need, to, I need to go stand by them. I need to make sure they're comfortable. Two types of people. The one creates an atmosphere of joy. The other does not. Now... How do we pull this off? Well, there's a couple of things here in the text I want to get to. Before we get there, I, I do think that the way you look at yourself is incredibly important. First Timothy 1.15, Paul says this about himself. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. I'm chief. Man, I, I think it's really good. Again, I don't think we bash ourselves, but I think Paul just had a view of himself that, you know what? I, I'm i first in line for the grace of God. I'm first in line. I, I don't deserve to be in, in the kingdom. Man, God has blessed me. God has blessed me. I, I arranged the sermon in a particular way. Did you see that I started really with verse 2 and then we moved to verse 3 and 4? And we skip verse 1. Why do we skip verse 1? Because it's not good to skip verse 1 because verse 1 actually is the only way that we pull this off. But I skip verse 1 because I wanted you to feel a little tension, okay? Like, let me just guess at what is being said in the hearts and minds of people right here in the third service of Lincoln Avenue. There are some mothers out there right now that are saying that guy is full of baloney, okay? Because there, there's some mothers out here right now that say, you know what? I have lived that, Pastor Jason. I have lived it where I was investing in everybody else and getting nothing back. I have lived it where I put everybody else's needs above mine. I've I've lived it where I didn't go to the bathroom for 10 hours because I'm wiping noses and cleaning bottoms and putting stuff on the table. And let me tell you, Pastor, it's not all joy, okay? Let me just go ahead and say it for whoever's wanting to say that, all right? You know? Some of you are like, you know what? I live that every day at work. When I walk into work, they give me a hat. It says, dump on me, you know? And all day long, I just, yeah, everybody dump this, dump that, dump that. And I'm just taking care of everybody. Take care of everything, you know? And let me tell you, Pastor, there's no joy, you know? So when I started this out in verse 2, I said, complete my joy, you know? And and Paul's saying an atmosphere of joy is one of humility and one of where we count others more significant than ourselves. And we look out for the interests of others and not our own interests. And you're saying, I just don't buy it. I've tried it. I can't do it. It's too hard. And it doesn't bring me joy. Well, that's because you skip verse 1. Stop skipping verse 1. Verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and with one mind, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse one is a critical verse there. Okay. In fact, in the Greek, it's interesting because the words so if there is actually aren't, aren't really in the Greek text. There's a little word called tis and it means anyone. Okay. And it, and it, and it's meant to ask a question that has an implied answer. Okay. And so that's why we added those words to make it make sense in English. And so, So the question here is, is there any encouragement in Christ? Church, you answer that question. Is there any encouragement in being in Jesus Christ? Yes, I think there is. In fact, I think there is a truckload of encouragement from being in Jesus Christ. The word encouragement there is the same word that Jesus or a form of the same word that Jesus used for the Holy Spirit. Okay? It means the helper. Alright? There is all kinds of practical help and assistance and encouragement in Jesus Christ. In fact, I would say if you're a believer here and you're joined to Jesus, there's a ton of encouragement just knowing who you are in Christ. Okay? When I think about that, the Bible tells me, I am a son of the king. I am adopted into the family of God. I sit at the king's table, okay? There's a new heavens and a new earth being created and built that I might live there forever with King Jesus. The Bible tells me that my identity as is as an heir of Christ, an inheritor of the things of God, a saint, forgiven, justified, sanctified, soon to be glorified. If you just open up your Bible to, let's say, Romans 8, let me give you a bunch of stuff. In Romans eight, that's just incredibly encouraging. Okay, and Romans eight says if you're in Christ, that He will not leave you; that He will help you; that that, that God is for you. And, and Romans eight says if, if God is for you, friends. Who could be against you if the power of God is in your life? And going on further in Romans 8, it says, We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Going further, it says that God is working all things together for good to those who love him. And on and on and on we could go. We have been encouraged greatly in Jesus Christ. If you're a believer here today, then you ought to just soak up that God has made you rich. All right? And here's what Paul's saying if God has made you rich, if God has dumped all of that in your life, can't you dump a little in somebody else's? That's where you dump it from. You take what Christ has given you. Okay? You see, the other way is, we already feel empty. We already feel like we've got the bad deal in the thing. And now, people are demanding that we give to them. And we're, we're bitter about it, aren't we? I ain't got nothing, and you're taking everything I got, okay? As a believer, who in here can say I've got nothing? Would you dare say that? Jesus Christ gives his life on the cross, pays your debt, makes you rich in Christ. And are you, are you going to come and say, I don't have anything? So implied here, is there, is there any riches in Christ? Is there any encouragement in Christ? Yes. Okay, and so Paul's saying, out of that, pour into others. You know the cool thing? When you pour out Christ's riches into others, you don't have less. That's usually the way it works, right? If you got $100 and you give 40 away, is 60 better than 100? Absolutely not. Okay, if you give me the choice, can I, do, I, do I want 100 or 60? I'll take 100, you know. That's better, right? That's not the way it works with Christ, though. Because with Christ, if I have these riches of who I am in Jesus and I share them with Bonnie, and I encourage Bonnie, and, and, and I see that Bonnie's down a little bit, so I go, Hey, Bonnie, man, I just want you to know how much Christ loves you, and I want you to remember that God is taking care of you. And I want you to know that whatever you're going through right now, sister, he is going to carry you through. He will not let you down. He will be faithful to you. Let me pray for you. Okay, after that, do I have less? Do I go away from there thinking, Man, I don't even feel forgiven now. I gave it all to Bonnie. You know, I think I'm going to hell. no. No. That's not the way it works. I've got got more. I've got just as much or more, right? So Paul goes on. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Absolutely. Any comfort from love. Let me ask you, is there anything comforting in the Scriptures about being a believer? Oh, man. I used to. I I don't much anymore, but I used to every Sunday morning before I would come to the pulpit, I would turn to Isaiah 41.10 and I would read this verse. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That is comforting to me. You know the most comforting verse in the Bible to me, though? It could be different for you. 1 John 1, 9. I can't tell you how many times I've blown it. And I'm just tired of blowing it. You ever feel that way? I'm just tired of blowing it. I'm just tired. I'm just... God, why? I just, I don't even, I just, I don't even want to face you, you know? And then I grab on to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. What does it mean he's faithful? He'll do it. He'll do it. He, he never doesn't show up for the job. He is faithful to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's comforting. What about in the worst of times? I like to read First Thessalonians 4 at the graveside. I do that quite often at a funeral. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. This is verse 13. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, where the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so... We will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Is there comfort in that, believers? Man, I think there is. Can't we give some of that away? Is there any participation in the Spirit? That's the next thing there, verse 1. Any participation in the Spirit? I think so. If you're a believer, Romans 8, 9 says... You have the Spirit. In fact, Romans 8 9 says if you don't have the Spirit, then you're not a believer. 1 Corinthians 6 19 says you are, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and so do we not have fellowship, church? You know, Do you have the Holy Spirit? I have the Holy Spirit. Do you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? Do you have the helper, the, the almighty third person of the Trinity dwelling inside of you? Do, you? do you have him? I have him. And I have him that I might minister to you. And you have him that you might minister to me. I mean, we, we, have, we have this participation, we have this fellowship, we have, we have this thing in common together. Paul asks, he goes on in verse 1, is there any affection? Is there any sympathy? Is there any of that in Christ? Man, he, Jesus is just not short-tempered. Isn't that awesome? You know, I, I thought about this. is there any sympathy in Christ? Is there any compassion? Man, every day, every day. He's pouring that into my life. Every day, he's showering that upon me. Listen, no one will ever treat you worse than Jesus was treated. Have you ever thought about that? No one will ever sin against you more times than you have sinned against Jesus. Nobody's ever been despised or rejected or ridiculed or unjustly treated more than Jesus. In all of that, Jesus has loved and encouraged and comforted and has been affectionate and sympathetic like nobody else has. We have experienced that. And so Paul says... You've got it, church. You're loaded up. Now, what are you going to do with it? Verse 2. Complete my joy. Okay, create an atmosphere of joy. And how are you going to do that? First of all, you're going to do that by being of the same mind. Notice in verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Did Paul forget what he said? Why does he say it twice? Older people, sometimes we do that, right? Yeah, you say it. Say it again. Say the third time, maybe at lunch, four or five, the grandkids are rolling their eyes. Is that was that Paul's deal here? Or does or, or is this important? You know, he says it up in verse 27 too. Into verse seven, 27, standing firm in one spirit with one mind. All right. If you're going to pull this humility thing off for real, listen, if, if you're going to do this, if you're going to treat other people. Better than yourself. If you're going to count them more significant than yourself. If you're going to look out for their interests. And not just your own. Where's the battle going to take place? Right here, isn't it? Isn't it here? If you don't win it here. If you're not of one mind. what? How can we be of one mind? We ought to all have our mind on certain things, right? Shouldn't we have our mind on the fact that Jesus is Lord? Shouldn't our mind... Be, be saturated with the fact that he's the best thing, that, we, that, that, that he's the king of the universe, that, that joy is found in him, that, that, that Jesus is right about everything, that the Bible is true, that the Word of God never lets us down, that Satan is our enemy and he's a liar, and, and that we agree that we're the church and filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, shouldn't we agree? We should, and we should have our minds set on the same things. Philippians 4 8, if we go forward in the book of Philippians, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. If our mind is on that together, we're going to have harmony. Okay? If, if I'm only thinking about what's true, and Peggy's only thinking about what's true, we're going to get along. Romans 8, 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. You know why people get ugly? Because their mind is in the wrong place. It's set according to the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit. Set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Colossians 3, two, Set your minds on the things that are above. Not on things of the earth. Okay over and over the Bible again. It says again and again. Your mind's got to be. We got to agree on. What are we going to set our mind on? What's true? Right? And then he goes on to say. We don't have really time to cover it. But he says. You got to have the same love. And you got to be. A full accord intent on one purpose. I am a big fan of happiness. People always say joy and happiness are different things, and and just me saying that is some of you are gonna argue with me at the end, and I agree with you, they're probably a little different. But at the end of the day, if if I'm smiling, isn't that good? You know, I mean Joy, happy, whatever you want to call it, delight—I want it, I want it. And Paul says, "Make my joy complete, family, by this." So you know what I want to say to the Dirks family. I want to say, guys, there's seven of us living under one roof, and and if there's seven different desires, okay, if there's seven people saying, "I want." I want my way. You know what's going to happen? A lot of conflict in there. Man, we're going to... Haven's going to want to play Barbies and Tea Party all day. And Avery's going to want to, you know, me to play her computer game. And Haddon's going to want to wrestle. And Addie's going to want us all to be Disney princesses. And Hannah's going to want us to live in the 50s. And <laughs> Emma's just going to want us to leave her alone, you know. But man, what if what if we were all intent on one purpose? We're all different; we got different stuff going on in our life. But what if we were intent on one purpose, one one big purpose in our family, that's to glorify Jesus. And what if what if we disciplined ourselves to continually take the focus off of me, what, to be preoccupied with other things than me, and and to count others to walk into our home and say. I am concerned about building up the faith, building up the joy of, of the other people in my house. That'd be a great place to live, wouldn't it? It would. be a great place to go to church. Let's, let's go after joy, church. Let's go after it. Let's pray. Father, help us to live in humility. Uh, Lord, we're going to see next week how Jesus is the, the example of that. Lord, I pray that you would teach us, God, to look away from ourselves and to focus on Christ. Lord, teach us to to count others more significant than ourselves, to be caught up with the interests of others. Teach us to have one mind, one soul, one heart, to be united in one purpose. God, do great things in us. In Jesus' name. Amen.